Can little things to build rapport with students really have an impact on their engagement in learning? What does this look like in an online environment? What role does emotion play in learning? These are some of the questions we will address in this episode of Learner Engagement Activated, the podcast that helps you take teaching and learning to the next level with the latest in research and applications on learner engagement for students at all ages, levels, and environments. This podcast hosts leaders in the field to bring you advice for how to increase learner engagement to improve student outcomes. I'm your host, Ann Fency, and in this episode, I speak with Flower Darby, online educator, speaker, and author of Small Teaching Online, to find out how the small things that teachers do can affect student engagement. Ready, set, activate. Flower Darby is an internationally renowned keynote speaker and author, as well as adjunct faculty at Northern Arizona University and Estrella Mountain Community College. She has over 25 years of teaching experience in a range of subjects, including English, technology, leadership, dance, and Pilates, and has served as the Assistant Dean of Online and Innovative Pedagogies and the Director of Teaching for Student Success. Flower is the co-author with James Lang of Small Teaching Online, Applying Learning Science in Online Classes, and is a columnist for the Chronicle of Higher Education. So Flower Darby, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Anne. Thank you so much for having me. It's a privilege to be here with you. Great. So I understand that you have done some research on teacher immediacy behaviors, and this was not a term I was familiar with. Um, so can you explain teacher immediacy behaviors and how they relate to student engagement? Yeah, I find this really fascinating and almost um, just amazing in the potential impact that immediacy behaviors can have. So it comes out of uh, communication science and communication studies. And the term immediacy relates to um, our ability to communicate to the people that we're interacting with. This is a general concept, not just for teachers and students, but to communicate liking and support and that we want to draw near to the people we're interacting with. And it invites people to draw near to us based on approach avoidance theory, which basically says we are more likely to approach someone or something we like and more likely to avoid someone or something that we dislike or have negative associations. So um, given, yeah, given the teaching and learning is so relational, which is something that I don't think we talk enough about in higher ed, um, we can communicate by using these verbal and nonverbal immediacy behaviors um, and help the students want to draw near to us, which will foster increased engagement, persistence, and boost learning as well. And this is really easy to do in the classroom. Um, we can do things like, for example, make eye contact with our students and not just read our lecture notes the entire time. Mm -hmm. We can move about the room and not stay anchored behind the lecture or the lectern. Yeah. We can circulate around the room and go to small groups and kind of hunker down and say, okay, how are you doing? There's lots of things. We can smile. We can be warm and friendly. Lots of things that we do in the classroom that would be in this category of immediacy behaviors. Uh, it's even like nonverbal ways of like leaning in or uh, literally physically closing the distance. Uh, it really does boost that uh, engagement and learning element for students. Mm. Yeah. And I, you know, when I was in a classroom, those were the things that I was learning how to do. And it really made a big difference. And so I also saw there was about language too, like using we, I've been doing that a lot more in my teaching now too, instead of like yes. the students or you will, you know, I talk yes. about we. Yeah, exactly. We, we want to form a community and, um, 
you know, always telling students, you will do this and I want you to do this. It does, it does communicate in subtle but impactful ways, distance or difference. And so using the inclusive we uh, really can make a big difference in that way, yeah. So what are like some other kinds of examples? You mentioned like body language and eye contact. And um, so what are, what are some other examples of what that immediacy behavior looks like? Well, um, so again, verbal immediacy behaviors that we can enact uh, take the form of making an effort to call students by name. Oh, and okay. if we are teaching in a large enrollment classroom, for example, even taking the step of asking students to have a table tent or a name card on their mm -hmm. desks or on the table in front of them. In other words, we don't have to memorize their names, but literally just saying students' names when you call on them or respond to a comment that they make in class, that's an immediacy behavior. So yeah. simple things that we can do that really make a big difference. Ah, yeah, it does because I, I was uh, at the beginning of this semester, I had a Zoom classroom and when they were doing a little activity for a couple of minutes, I made the effort to go around and memorize all the names. And then I went and I, I was talking about, you know, strategies we can use for studying and improving our memory. And mm -hmm. I went around the room and I, I named everybody off and they oh. were like, what, how do you know our names? What kind of yes. voodoo magic is this? But yeah, names really make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. And even if you're not able to memorize them for lots of very good reasons, yep. um, using your, your visual cues, um, really, really a good idea. And Zoom helps us with that by putting the I name. Know. <laughs> right I, next funny, to everyone, I, yeah. I've gotten so used to uh, presenting and teaching in Zoom that when I do an in-person uh, workshop, for example, I'm like, well, where's the little easy to read name? Now now I feel a little hindered in person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> even, even when people have name tags, it's not quite as easy to see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, it looks like a lot of the research you were talking about um, was done in more traditional kinds of environments like face-to-face -face classrooms. Mm -hmm. um, what What is teacher immediacy behaviors, what, is that, what does that look like in an online environment? Well, I'm super stoked about this study that I came across uh, led by Marsha Dixon and some colleagues published in 2017, studying exactly this. How do we uh, enact immediacy behaviors, both verbal and nonverbal in online classes? And, and this team of researchers really focused on the nonverbal because mm -hmm. verbal immediacy behaviors, again, it's, it's more transferable in my mind. Um, for example, making sure to use a student name if you're replying to their discussion post. You know, John, that's really a great point. I love what you said here. Have you thought about this? But being very deliberate to include students' names in replies to discussions or emails, to uh, call again, call students by name if you're teaching in Zoom, to write. You know, there's a lot that happens in online classes that is based on written text, whether it's announcements or, again, feedback on an assignment or the syllabus itself. Mm -hmm. And when we make an effort to inject warmth and support and encouragement into the way that we write to our students and in fact, our own personality, those are also ways of enacting verbal immediacy cues online. And again, to me, that sort of makes sense. But this study, this 2017 study identified some fascinating things that we can do as online instructors that again, communicate to our students in ways that we may not have thought about before and conversely things that we do that convey that we're not interested in our students so for example they talk about time as a communication method and if you take a long time to respond to a discussion post or there's a lag in time when before replying to a student's email 
that length of time that it takes actually communicates to our students that we're not that interested in them, that we're not um, concerned yeah. or, or that we don't care about them. Similarly, the students can determine like sort of how much time we spend on the communication itself. So a really brusque or brief comment on an assignment, great job, that communicates one thing. But even a few lines that says, hey, Andrew, I can really see how hard you worked on this. Great effort. Uh, next time, here's a couple of things to consider. Just the a, a little bit more wording, yeah. a little bit more feedback communicates to our students through that amount of time that we spent on the communication. I found that really fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that is interesting. And so yeah. you mentioned time. I'm still, I'm still, so immediacy behaviors are, are kind of new to me. I yeah, I understand the concept, but I, you know, the, the uh, term I hadn't heard before. So I keep trying to think, trying not to think of this means immediate. It doesn't mean immediate. It just means connected um, ways of, yeah. of feeling connected to another person or feeling close to another person. Is that, is that right? Yeah, it, in my mind, you're right. It's not immediate. And I'm not saying that we are all 24-7 chatbots who are going to respond to our students every yes. little need or question <laughs> immediately. Let me be clear. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah. But I do think as a whole in higher ed online classes, there's a big distance. And that distance really dampens uh, the, our ability to communicate effectively. And so for me, immediacy is about closing the distance. It is, again, think about it physically. A nonverbal immediacy behavior is literally to lean in closer to the person that you're speaking with. Yeah. And so given the inherent distance in online classes, uh, beginning to deliberately practice some immediacy behaviors, both verbal and nonverbal, literally closes the distance and okay. um, helps our students feel more connected with us. And we know that when online students feel more connected with us as instructors, again, they're going to be more motivated to engage in the classwork and experience better learning results um, in turn. Hmm. So it's like virtually leaning in. Yes, absolutely. Okay. All right. Okay. So um, it, it does sound like this is about building relationships yes. um, between the teacher and the student and building rapport. So how how do teachers build rapport, um, you know, especially in, you know, in a distance uh, environment it, where you don't have, you know, the physical presence necessarily or even the synchronous presence? Right. So again, I am very convinced and the experience that we've all had during the pandemic has only reinforced and strengthened my sense based on my own experience and extensive research, including conversations with folks like you who care about these things. Um, I'm convinced that the distance in online spaces, even synchronous online is the biggest barrier that we have to overcome. I'm also absolutely convinced there's robust research and my own personal, I'm always asking people about this, um, students, the general sense is that instructors who teach online, especially asynchronous classes, are not present enough. Mm -hmm. We do not spend enough time with our online students. And I am guilty of this too. And I, for example, if I'm walking down the hallway to my physical classroom, I'm going to, it's going to be easier to pop down into that room, right? Mm -hmm. But I blame the, um, the, how easy it is for the LMS, the learning management system to kind of you have to make a big effort to go in there is what I'm trying to say. And it can be easy not to, it can yeah. be easy to get overwhelmed with things that are a little, you know, more immediate in terms of our to-do list and our deadlines. And so coming back to the point, uh, students in online asynchronous classes, especially complain that we are not there with them enough. There was a study that came out in 2020 of 2000 and more undergraduate students, 35% of them said 
that the biggest problem in the worst online class they had taken was that the instructor was not there, did not <laughs> respond to emails. Yep. And so for me, uh, it is about being present and it is about being intentional to build rapport. Because again, when we teach in person, it's, it's easier to naturally interact with people organically, have those spontaneous social connections. And so for me, uh, establishing rapport, cultivating the relationship with our students, especially in online classes, is something we really do want to pay attention to. Mm. And, you know, in my work as an instructional designer, working with faculty who are transitioning to distance ed, a lot of times that is their biggest fear, that they have rapport with their students in the classroom and they, they're afraid of losing that online. So what, what kinds of things help build rapport online? Oh, absolutely. Besides yeah, absolutely. just responding to emails in a reasonable <laughs> amount of time. You know, and again, this won't come as necessarily new to you, Anne, but, um, or maybe to some of your listeners, but I love it, the way that uh, it's framed by the research. So in, I'll just share one little quick blurb about uh, a study that I came across recently in 2020, a couple of researchers um, analyzed the impact that rapport building efforts have in online classes. Mm -hmm. And they definitely found that it was statistically significantly um, correlated with Students' perceptions of instructor presence and, um, you know, and their therefore students' ability to engage and learn. So, some of the things that we can do is um, to be intentional about how we create space to learn about our students and to help them get comfortable with each other as well. Students sometimes in asynchronous, especially in asynchronous online classes, they they think they're just going to go in and do their work and come back out. They don't really yep. want to interact with other people. Yep. <laughs> But we know from the research that those social interactions helps all of the students engage. So here's my favorite new activity that is about um, myself as the individual instructor, getting to know a little bit more about my students and demonstrating to them that I see them, mm -hmm. I care about them. Uh, this is not student to student. I'll get to that example in just a minute. But my favorite new ac activity is called Share One Photo. And I actually learned about this activity from Tom Seleska at the University of Wisconsin Concordia. And he talks about, in his example, he actually, he uses three photos, but here's the gist of the assignment. You ask students to go to their camera roll, their photo library on their phone, and pick, in Tom's case, three. In my case, I did it with one with incredible results. And then put a photo or, you know, a few photos into a Word doc and add, um, or a Google doc, whatever it might be, a slide, you can do it lots of ways. Add just a few lines about why that photo or those photos are significant. Hmm. And what's really interesting, you know, and be intentional. I don't want you to go out and take a new photo. I want you to look at what's in your library and select yeah. something that tells me what, you know, what's important to you. And I heard about this from Tom and I was like, that sounds really like a cool way to, to get a little glimpse of students, yeah. yep. you know, and then to respond to each one just with a few lines. And so I did this, this October in the uh, condensed accelerated online class that I was teaching. I did this for the first time and I was absolutely blown away by what students chose to show me. And uh, I really identified what a culturally responsive um, activity it was as well. Hmm. Uh, I, as you mentioned in my bio, I teach at Estrella Mountain. It's actually pronounced Estrella. That's the, the Spanish oh, okay. <laughs> pronunciation. It, it means star mountain. Isn't that beautiful star mountain? Oh, nice. And most of my students are Latinx or, or black or multiracial. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that what they were choosing to show me were pictures of their families and their extended families. Nice. And their families supporting them at high school graduation or the whole family gathered for dinner. And then they would write a line or two about, my family is everything to me. They are supporting me. I'm persisting in getting this degree because my family is helping me to do it. And that's a very wow. culturally relevant 
thing to say. Yep. And so again, it just takes a couple of lines. I, I would respond back in Canvas. Wow, I love to see the support that you're enjoying. You know, something like that. Yep. Very simple. And um, it, a quick and easy assignment too. That yeah. it sounds like it has a lot of impact. Yeah, I think so. I've only done it once, but I was so blown away that I can't stop talking about it. I, uh, <laughs> you know, I, just to model what I was looking for, because, you know, that helps online students know what to expect. I posted one photo for my camera roll. It's a picture of my family and myself at Disneyland, which is somewhere that we like to go. And I added a couple of lines about the Jungle Cruise being my favorite ride. And pretty trivial, pretty surface, right? Yep, but, yeah. but it's a picture of my family. And they responded, one student sent a picture of the entire family gathered around her grandmother's COVID deathbed. I mean, like, wow, that's what wow. you chose to share with me. It's, yeah. I just talk about closing the distance. Yeah. Really powerful. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I, I think I'm going to use that in my next class because I love that idea. And like yeah. I did in uh, one of my classes last year, um, I wanted them to make connections to what they already knew mm -hmm. so each week they would copy a slide and they'd have to talk about something they learned that week and they had to find some kind of visual representation of it oh cool. what they learned that week how it related to something they uh, learned last week so mm -hmm. another visual representation and then how it relates to something they were thinking about last month and then something that they were thinking about last year so I had to awesome. find four visuals and it was amazing how much personality came out of those, those images. And, you know, they really like customized that to the things that made sense to them the most. And, you know, they've just wrote a short blurb about it. And it was mm -hmm. funny. There was one, uh, one student who I, I couldn't wait to see what her next weekly one was because she would do a theme each time. So she did like one week was all Simpsons images. Another oh, week was all like Marvel images. And, you know, so it's, it's fun to see the, the personality of these students that I've never met in person, but right. you can feel close to people in a distance. Yes. I love that. And what I especially love, Anne, is the way that that is... <laughs> Sorry, can I call myself out? Did you notice that I just said what I love, Anne? Yeah. That's because I was using a verbal immediacy cue. Yes. I call it. <laughs> so uh, I do love how equity-minded that strategy is as well. As uh, as you mentioned, they would find images that made sense to them. Yeah. And, um, and that's so important when we're thinking about metacognition. We, we can't tell students how concepts relate to other, I mean, we can, and sometimes we do. Mm -hmm. But when students make sense of it for themselves and make their own connections, um, and that increases the relevance of the activity, and that relevance is a key element when we think about equity-minded teaching strategies. So mm -hmm. awesome. I love it. Great. I might use that one. Okay. <laughs> um, so you mentioned you had some ideas for how students connect to each other. Yeah. So um, again, I know that we have love-hate relationships with discussion forums. Um, mm -hmm. I know sometimes Zoom breakout groups can be painful. So again, I'm really going to emphasize the importance of establishing social connections and relationships if you want to foster good learning interactions, really meaningful learning interactions. We know from the research that it helps. But let's remember that it's weird to all of a sudden be talking to somebody that you don't know about maybe yeah. complex course concepts. So I really encourage folks to think a little differently about how we structure activities and time in any class, honestly, uh, but especially online, given the distance. 
in terms of carving out some time and space for social activities, relationship building activities, just for the sake of getting to know the people in your class. Because when students have a better sense of who's in the class with them, it automatically fosters a, a more trusting environment. They feel more safe in terms of taking intellectual risks if they feel that they're in a supportive community. And again, all of those things are gonna lead to increased student engagement and participation and willingness to post on the um, sometimes dreaded online discussion forums, yeah. <laughs> just as one example. So again, leading relationship building activities for their own sake. One of my favorite ones I learned about from Lisa Forbes, who is, um, she wrote a couple of posts in Faculty Focus, which is if case readers haven't heard of it, it's one of my favorite sources for super practical um, oh, teaching yeah. tips, yeah. facultyfocus.com, free newsletter, a newsletter. And um, she basically, in both of these posts, she was encouraging us to just have fun in our classes and build in playful activities, again, by way of fostering the social connections and community. So one of the favorite ones that she wrote about, one of my favorite ones, she calls it scrolly questions. And in her Zoom class, she would have her students uh, or one student go to this particular website and she lists it in the article where it's just random questions. I mean, like millions of random questions. and. The student who was taking the turn that day would have to scroll through the questions until somebody said stop and then whatever question they were on they had to answer that question <laughs> and it, it's just personality you know yep. kind of sharing as you said sharing mm -hmm. personality um, getting to know you laughing yep. um, all of these things are not in my experience what higher ed instructors typically think of as a good use of class time Mm -hmm. But I'm encouraging us to reframe our thinking. If we want to close the distance and build rapport with and among our students, let's take a little time to um, foster, you know, activities that help us get to know each other and have fun together. Mm, yeah, that's, uh, you know, the, the students connecting with each other uh, about like building trust. I think you you're really oh. hit the nail on the head about you find yourself in a breakout room and you don't know any of the people and you're like, uh, hello, um, let's do something together. And you're a so stranger. awkward. Yeah, yeah it's and so awkward. I tried I tried this semester. Um, it actually went really well in one of my synchronous Zoom classes. I started like before we even got to the syllabus and everything. I just told a little bit about myself and um, what I was hoping would happen in the class that semester. And then I said, here's my commitment to you. And I went through and listed all of the, the things that I commit to you as a teacher in this class. Mm -hmm. And then I put them in the scary breakout rooms with um, a slide for each one of them, mm -hmm. uh, for each group. And they would just list on the slide some things that they all have in common. Yes. And some things that were different about them. And then what is their commitment to the class? Oh, I love it. And that, like, I I was wondering, oh, that's kind of like too touchy feely. That's going to be weird, you know, with, with the classroom, you know, and, no. and, but it actually worked out really well. Like I was surprised when we came back to share, like they had really good things. Like I commit to, you know, speaking up if I, if I, if I can help someone um, with a problem, I'll help them with that. Or I commit to showing up on time. Or, you know, yes. so it was, it was great. And it really, I think, did kind of set the stage for them to feel more comfortable with each other when we did a lot of breakout work. Absolutely. In fact, I would, um, that that's, and there are millions of ways to do this, right? But the fact that you structured an activity, and I think it's really great to have sort of a deliverable in terms of a slide that 
Mm -hmm. Students can, you know, put things on, it could be a Padlet, whatever yeah. it could be, something that articulates and demonstrates um, what they're doing in their getting to know you, uh, you know, getting to know each other kind of activity. And I might even encourage, especially if, you know, people use breakout groups with different groupings, random groupings of students, I would encourage add a one minute icebreaker activity every time we go into breakout groups or, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, kind of, kind of keep doing that, you know, yep. maybe it's not every single time, but definitely, yep. I would encourage us to think about more than just at the beginning, but I love what you were talking about because that also fosters the sense of community. And as I listened to you, I was like, well, what you're doing there too is identifying the community values. What's mm. really important to us as a community, supporting each other, honoring our commitment by showing up to class. Um, so you maybe even inadvertently were also kind of setting the stage for the community values to emerge. I love it. Great, mm. great, great idea. Yeah, I hadn't I hadn't really thought about that aspect, but yes, <laughs> I'm glad it worked. So that's what well, I mean. It was kind of embedded in there, and that's I think that's a really lovely way to kind of have that happen. Yeah, um, and I'm I'm always looking for more ideas, um, and I love the ideas that you've shared. Um, but what what impact does this really have? So, like, what does the research say about um, student engagement and you know this social connection? Yeah, absolutely. And again, I am convinced that we do not talk about this enough in higher education. It is a key element. Uh, there is a robust literature on uh, the positive impact of rapport building exercises and activities. I mentioned a few minutes ago, a 2020 study that came out specifically looking at this in online classes. And the report authors wrote, and this is a near quote, maybe not exact, but they wrote that students meet learning objectives more often when faculty teach using rapport. And mm -hmm. so Right. I mean, there again, I am. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I know there's literature to support me. Nothing else is coming immediately to mind besides this mm -hmm. study, but I am 100% convinced that uh, our effort to build rapport with and among students uh, leads to their increased motivate, sorry, motivation, engagement, mm -hmm. persistence, and all of those things are necessary ingredients for effective learning. So I just want to actually elaborate on one other finding that came out of this particular study because. Mm -hmm. When in my workshops or conversations that I have, people are always asking me, well, I can't do all that stuff. I teach really large enrollment classes or, you know, I, I yeah, don't have time. Yeah. I have to get through the material. <laughs> but uh, what these researchers found, and I was kind of blown away by this, uh, they, they argued that when students have a rapport-filled positive relationship with their instructor, they will be more successful. But then they also added, even if a student individually does not have a relationship with an instructor, if they're in that environment where the instructor is making the effort to build rapport and be approachable and available and practice hmm. those immediacy behaviors, even those students are going to experience benefits as well in terms of their learning and their success. Hmm. So, uh, you know, I think that's really interesting to think about for folks who teach larger enrollment classes that still yeah. making those efforts to be approachable and supportive um, benefits all of your students. Yeah. Huh. Wow. So yeah, even if you have like a 500 student lecture hall, just mm -hmm. being, making it evident that you're trying to be approachable yes. and connect with them can, can Back, affect student outcomes. 100%. Back to that um, table tent idea with the names on them. Yep. Um, students understand, they recognize that it's impossible for you to memorize all of their names, but uh, they see that as the gesture of your goodwill and your intent to support students and get to know them. So yeah. Absolutely. Great. Oh, that's awesome. Yes. Um, I, I love improving student outcomes. <laughs> I know. I know it. 
So I, I also loved your uh, last book, Small Teaching Online, um, and I loved the original uh, Small yes, Teaching yeah. by James Lang, right. too. Um, got lots of great tips out of both of your books. I hear you have a new book about emotion science and teaching with technology um, that's coming out soon. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, I'm super excited. I'm working really closely with Sarah Rose Cavanaugh to do the very same thing and take her um, amazing, impactful book called The Spark of Learning, mm -hmm. how uh, emotion science can energize the college classroom. And I'm writing The Spark of Learning online. <laughs> right. Actually, I think yeah. I said that backwards, The Spark of Online Learning. Yeah. And so, um, so essentially, like I did with Small Teaching Online, and with Sarah's blessing and partnership and guidance, um, I'm applying her book. This one, I'm the, the only author on because she had other projects, which sound amazing. I can't wait for those to come out, but um, I'm the sole author on this, but she's given me a lot of guidance and mm -hmm. um, basically taken some of the concepts in her book. And just as we've kind of been doing today, okay, but how do you do that online? How do you yeah. practice those immediacy behaviors online? How do you build rapport online? And I deliberately talk about teaching with technology because I would argue that many of the concepts, both in Small Teaching Online and this new book, uh, relate and enhance to in-person classes as well when we take advantage of what is possible using technology, using online spaces to enhance and supplement what we do in the classroom. So um, everything that I've been talking about today with the immediacy and rapport, that is right out of chapter three in the new book about oh, how we can warm up our spaces. There's yeah. a lot about um, how uh, you as the instructor create the atmosphere of mm -hmm. a, a vibrant learning community. And um, there's a lot of material on trust and how important that is, as we were just talking about a few minutes ago, mm -hmm. and deliberate ways of creating a trusting environment and building trust with your students. And uh, yeah, I'm just super excited. And I'm wrapping up the final revision. So it's, yeah. uh, it should be hitting the, the shelves soon. Great, that's awesome. So what was one you know, kind of surprising thing as you're putting together this, this research on emotion science um, and, and teaching, like, you know, because emotions totally have been left out of, especially higher mm -hmm. ed classrooms. Mm -hmm. So like, what would you say to faculty to help them recognize the importance of emotion in learning? Yeah, and again, I know that higher ed is, um, a context in which we have challenges, we have rigorous curriculum, we have um, accreditation standards, we have, yep. you know, all kinds of demands and things that we have to build. But, you know, I, people often, especially people teaching in some kind, STEM kinds of classes and fields, they might say, I don't have time for all that stuff. I mean, you yourself, and you said it a minute ago, that was that too touchy-feely. No, yes. it's not too touchy-feely. <laughs> it makes such a difference. And early in the pandemic, one um, instructor that I was speaking with shared an example from the medical field and how, for example, doctors are trained to spend a little tiny bit of time in small talk, essentially, during an, a, you know, an, an appointment in order to foster better communication so they can better diagnose and prescribe whatever mm. might be needed. Yeah. And I really like that analogy because we know that doctors are pressed for time, yep. um, but but they're encouraged to take just that few minutes to try to get their know, to get to know their patients in front of them. And that analogy helps me to think about how do we make time for social and emotional connections uh, in classes where we're pressed for time. And the other thing that I would add here is, um, again, I just honestly think that many faculty members haven't thought about the importance of emotions. 
But what I learned from Sarah's book, uh, The Spark of Learning, is that emotions and cognition are inextricably linked. Mm. You cannot think without engaging the emotions. And emotions are powerful. They help us to focus, pay attention. They help us to remember things, connect mm -hmm. things, understand. Yep. So to me, especially during the pandemic, this has reinforced my idea, emotions are the power tools that we can put to work to help achieve student uh, equitable learning outcomes. Why are we not thinking yeah. about how we're using them? That, that's where I've kind of landed. Yeah. Oh, great. And I like that, that doctor analogy because, you know, if it's now a common practice in medicine, it means because there was literature that, you know, looked at the effect of yes. spending those two minutes and found that just that small thing has a big impact. And exactly. um, that's what I really liked about small teaching and small teaching online are these just little things that you can do, you know, because you, mm -hmm. you don't have to completely revitalize your teaching in your classroom. You can just do these small things that will have a big impact on engagement and learning. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, full credit to Jim for, for uh, this concept, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I have three questions that we ask all of our guests. Uh, first, what is a major barrier to learning engagement that you have experienced? I've been thinking about this and for me, I mean, there's lots, right? But the one that I wanna talk about today is relevance and students not perceiving that what they're learning is relevant or interesting yeah. or important. And why do we here again, learn this? Right, especially yeah. in classes um, where it's a required course or you know, not in their major, mm -hmm. uh, when students don't see the value of what they're doing, uh, I think that um, is a major barrier. And on the flip side of that though, when we make an effort to show them and better yet have students identify for themselves what is really relevant and important about what they're learning. Again, that's a well-documented um, researched equity-minded strategy as well. So anything that we can do to help our students see how what they're learning is relevant, or even again, generate for themselves how mm -hmm. what they're learning is going to benefit them in their future career, for example, um, and, you know, that could be something that could be a question that you ask students and, and request a one paragraph response or a 90 second recorded response. Identify how what we're learning in this class is going to help you in your future career. Bam. You've yes. just increased the relevance uh, yes. for the students <laughs> and fostered better engagement as a result. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the teacher who comes up with all of this relevance because, right. you know, in, in my field in particular, working with adult learners, they're so diverse with so many different areas yeah. and specialties. And I was just reading a study this morning, actually, that um, did a, an experiment where half of the students in a, a collection of classes, like 2000 students, um, were automatically assigned to a topic um, that they were mm -hmm. researching, and mm -hmm. half of the students got to choose the topic. Right. And the learning outcomes we're much better in the students that got to choose the topic. So yes. even something as simple as giving the students some choice, you know, you can yeah. have the parameters around it's this type of content in our class, but just having that that choice also, you know, increases their motivation and engagement and relevance. 100%. And as we know, that aligns with universal design for learning principles as well to offer yeah. learners choice about what they choose to learn about and how they choose to present their, their knowledge. And again, um, that element of choice is another strong equity-minded strategy as well. Mm. Um, so my next question is about the future. So what should we start thinking about or exploring in our discussions on learner engagement that isn't fully being addressed yet? So 
again, I, I could answer this in lots of different ways, but you've heard me today use the phrase equity-minded strategy quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And the reason that I have, we know from this pandemic, it's sort of laid bare existing inequities in higher education and um, existing, uh, like I said, just problems that and many of our learners- too, yeah. Yes, yeah, exactly. Especially with the digital divide. Right, yeah. and so um, for me, I'm really hopeful. There are a lot of people talking about equity right now, Mm -hmm. But I'm really hopeful that it's not a flash in the pan. And um, in other words, looking to the future, I would encourage us to take a much deeper dive into what we can do to uh, close achievement gaps and um, help all students, regardless of their life chances or their um, experiences prior to coming to higher ed, that all students who are willing to do the work in the class can be successful. We see mm. major racial disparities right now in college uh, outcomes. I've I'm very, very motivated and passionate to do what we can to help close those gaps. And so, like I said, that as we look to the future, I'm thinking equity and I'm thinking yeah. what, are, what are faculty members going to do to uh, provide the opportunity for equitable learning outcomes in their classes. Great, and making that something that all faculty do, that it's not something that a department of diversity takes care of. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's something that is embedded in your, your curriculum and in your practices. We need to make that the air we breathe. And I am going to take just one tiny moment to plug another project that I am so excited about. I am yeah. working with uh, three other authors on an equity-minded teaching guide oh. that is being published by W.W. W. Norton. And it's due out um, again next year in 2022 very, very practical. There's a lot of robust theory and research, but also practically speaking, no matter what you teach, what discipline, what uh, class modality, what can I do? And so Norton is going to make this guide freely available to oh, all really? instructors. Wow. And um, yeah, I know it's super cool. I'm working with ECs Artsivega, Mays Imad, and Brian Dewsbury, which is an incredible team of experts in this area. And uh, so again, we're doing what we can to make these things accessible, uh, practical, relevant for us as instructors so yeah. keep an eye out for that guide yeah, definitely. next year as well oh that's great and the best part is it's free <laughs> i know because we don't want to raise barriers we want to yeah exactly allow everybody yeah to have access to that so as we wrap up my final question is what is the one thing you want people to remember from this conversation about learner engagement so again um i really feel that in online classes especially that students feel disconnected. And I think that many times we as instructors also feel disconnected and that is demotivating mm. uh, when we don't feel connected with our students. So the main thing I want people listening to this podcast to remember is your online students want you. You need to be there. They want your guidance. They want your feedback. They want your interactions as a real person. You don't know how many times I've heard students tell me, my online teacher isn't a real person. <laughs> they want to know you. Yeah. So be present, be engaged, and make these little efforts to build rapport and practice immediacy behaviors. I didn't mention this. I'm going to send, say one last little thing. Yeah. In the research, the 2020 study that I was talking about with building rapport, one other really fascinating finding was that they, uh, the researchers identified that even the bare minimum of effort to create a little bit more rapport uh, had a major impact on student mm. persistence and learning. So even if it's Something as simple as adding your photo, if you don't already have that in your online course, yep. little tiny, teeny, tiny things make a big difference. So remember, your students want you. They want you to be there with them. Um, let's make that effort to do so and to do so in a real authentic way as well. 
Wow, great. Thank you so much. Great advice, Flower Darby. So thank excited you. that you joined us today. This is a wonderful conversation. Well, thank you, Anne. Really nice. To, I mean, you could tell I love talking about this stuff. So any opportunity I get to do it, <laughs> uh, I love it. Thank you so much. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Learner Engagement Activated is produced by the Learner Engagement Division of the Association for Educational Communications and Technology. This episode was hosted by Ian Fency with sound editing and production by Ian Fency. The music is from Purple Planet. Visit the Learner Engagement Division online at www.learnerengagement.org and find out more about the Association for Educational Communications and Technology at aect.org.